0: Welcome. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is The Man Talk Show, training for men and answers for women. Now joining me today is a special guest named Eduardo Garcia. Early on this year in, in January, I myself in Vienna um, were taken down to Mexico to spend a few days uh, with uh, friends of ours who run a company called Faradies, and they were interviewing people for. Uh, This catalog a magazine uh, for their clothing brand. And it's really interesting is what they do is they gather about 10 or 12 people uh, that are doing interesting things in the world, bring them all together, uh, do this little retreat, get them to wear their clothes, take some photos, but also interview them along the way. And each person has to sort of share their gift. And so there were a few incredible musicians that were there. There was a few incredible chefs that were there. Uh, Vienna and I um, did a little workshop on relationships and intimacy. Um, We got to go surfing, which was amazing. But along the way, I ran into Eduardo. And Eduardo was a part of the retreat. uh, And I was really struck not only by his story, but by the character and the kind of man that he was. Considering the level of adversity that he'd gone through, I... Heard his story and was just met with someone who was always insightful. Someone who, despite clearly had, having gone through an immense amount of adversity and traumatic events in his life, uh, someone who who had you know risen above the odds and was facing life in a way that was fulfilling. And just being around him, I could feel that he was just a solid, incredible human being. And I really wanted to have him on the show. So, just a little bit of context Eduardo Garcia is an American celebrity chef and the co founder of a company called Montana Mex, uh, which is a Mexican food company. And uh, he has some incredible products. Um, they are delicious, by the way. So, if you're looking for some tasty stuff, uh, definitely head on over to uh, montanamex.com and check that out. Um, but he's also known as the Bionic Chef because he cooks with a prosthetic left arm, which is the result of an accident while hunting in 2011. So this episode is going to be a lot about Eduardo's story, and it is going to be a lot about facing adversity, and how we as human beings face adversity, and how it molds us, how it shapes us, and how we can either crumble under you know, the, the stress of the events that we face in our life, or we can rise above them. And one of the powerful things that that I really appreciate about Eduardo and his, and his story is that it seems to just have one after another after another, one really challenging event after another that, that is sort of layered in. And one of the things that I really love about the way that he talks about his story is that there's just wisdom interwoven with how he had to face these events. And if you listen to the way that he tells his story, uh, one of the things that I really love about the way that he tells his story is that the lessons are embedded into his story. And so I had him on the show because I wanted him to sort of share his journey, share the obstacles, because the reality is, is that we all face obstacles. We all face these traumatic, dramatic events that show up in our lives And we have to rise to face them. We have to muster the courage and the bravery to be able to tackle these. And we have to tackle them together. And it changes family dynamics and relationships and businesses and how we view ourselves. And and our lives are never the same. And whether we go through something that Eduardo has gone through or we know someone that's going through that right now, It is these types of stories and these types of conversations that can support us and remind us to rehumanize our own lives and our own stories and give us perspective. So Eduardo is going to share his story here in just a minute. But before we dive in, just a quick reminder, some, some housekeeping on two things. Number one, uh, we have the Men's Weekend in upstate New York in June. Uh, the one in March that's around the corner is completely sold out. Uh, so if you are looking to do some work on your relationship, if you're wanting to face your shadow, if you are wanting to overcome some of the obstacles that you are dealing with in your own life, uh, now is the time. Head on over and sign up. We uh, only have a few spots left, and I would love to be able to do some work with you. We'll also have Traver Bohm, who's the founder of Man Uncivilized, joining me uh, at that weekend. Who he will be co-facilitating uh, and sharing some of his wisdom as well. Uh, and then, secondly, I am so excited to announce that we have finally, after a lot of people have been reaching out, Vienna and I have uh, re-released. The course, the relationship foundations course, "Get the Love You Want," that teaches couples and singles all about how to build a incredibly powerful relationship, and so we cover uh, everything from you know how your family systems, your family of origin, impacts your relationship today. Uh, how to develop a healthier sense of communication between you and your partner, how to turn conflict into connection, how to set proper boundaries. And of course, we dive deep into sex and intimacy and de shaming sex and intimacy so that you and your partner uh, can have a more playful, more connected sex life. Uh, so if you are interested in that, head on over to mantox.com or connabedon.com uh, in the next week, we will have a promo code. It's just Mantox and that'll save you $50. Um, So if you're interested in doing that, if you didn't get a chance to do it with us live, um, you can head on over and do that now. Uh, So that's it. That's all for the housekeeping notes. Um, Hopefully we'll see you in the course or at the event in June. And without any further delay, I am so, so, so appreciative and grateful and excited for this conversation. Please welcome Eduardo Garcia.
1: Hey, Connor. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man. It is an honor, a pleasure. I I feel very grateful that we got to spend some time together earlier on this year. And uh, after meeting you, I was like, oh, man, I got to have this guy on the show and just talk and connect. And so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So let's, let's just start with the question that I ask everyone, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: I think it would be... A defining a defining moment that made me who I am today. It would be a miss to. I think we all have many many moments, and and yet I think the one for me that um has has it kind of it really harvested from the life to date, and and even though this was only ten years ago. Um, I suffered an electrical injury on October ninth, 2011, um while out hiking and hunting in the back country of my home here in Southwest Montana. The that event getting slammed by 2400 volts, um le- legitimately peeling, peeling myself up off the ground and you know, um managing to find help 3 miles away at bottom of these, you know, this mountainous foothill down in the valley. And, um, you know, that I want to break it down to sub pieces, but I just just I'll just say that that get it, that event is that short part of what became two years of recovery and 21 surgeries. And I mean, 50 some odd days in burn trauma ICU at the University of Utah, all of those details are part of the parcel. But the moment that i think truly defined me was not getting zapped um but but i think the moment of the moment that i reflect on all the time which was the fact that i stood up and started walking to go get help when you know most of my physical um you know indicators and physical parts were, were shutting down and trying to stop and not go anywhere and, and there was so, something deep inside to get up and get walking and get help. So that that moment, you know, that moment of, uh, of and it wasn't even allowing. I think it was that rock bottom place where your primary and primal instincts kick in and surpass the, you know, um, the brain surpass the the everyday. You know, thinker in in ourselves. It was like, you know, like nature took over.
0: Yeah, that's wild, man. So, so I, you know, I think, I mean, I I know a good amount about your story now, mostly because I, you know, I went and I spent some time with you, you know, and we got to kind of chat and connect, and uh, you know, and then I went and watched the documentary, and I was really blown away because you know, you're really when I met you in person, you know, I'm going to give you a compliment on the podcast. So (laughs) uh, but Mm -hmm. when I met you in person, I was like, man, this guy is so humble. And he sounds like he's been through a lot. But then the you know, when I watched the docu the documentary, I was just like, holy shit, like what you went through, really, truly must have been horrible at, at times. But I think, you know, what you're talking about, at that defining moment of like, right after it happened uh, right after that incident happened. And can you just give the listeners like context for, for what had happened that, that caused you? So you're out in wilderness, you're out in nature. I think you were bow hunting. Is that correct?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I, I could fill this with hours, but in, 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 in a snapshot, I was, I was bow hunting. um, It was in the morning and uh, I came across a, Metal can. When I say metal can, think of something the size of a keg, but cut in half, and you know, it's kind of like embedded in the earth and open on the top. And when I looked inside of it, um, and, and and this was placed, you know, three miles into the hillside, not near any buildings, not near any human structures, like out in the wilderness, out in the woods, and up a mountain, <laughs> you know. And so you walk upon this can, and. Naturally, it's interesting for everyone to put put their put themselves in you know in my shoes for a second and imagine you're searching for something. That's what hunting is. Hunting is it's funny it's such a misnomer. Hunting doesn't necessarily mean killing. Hunting is looking for something. You're hunting for your next job. You're hunting for a mate. You're hunting for the best apple on the shelf. You're hunting for you know. So in hunting, you're observing. You're looking. You're 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 taking everything in. And so when I was hunting. I was walking and and I noticed as I'm taking everything in I noticed this can so naturally I walked to it to check it out and inside there was like a <clears throat> imagine a, a a wig or a toupee but with some claws glued to it <laughs> and a couple maybe errant bones and you know like hard mummified skin and and so when I looked in this can I see that I see something no bigger than a plastic grocery bag but it's black fur couple claws and as an outdoorsman my i i I deduced quite quickly i just said well i think that's probably um the remains the long spent remains of a baby bear probably a black bear because of the color and um gosh it'd be neat to have a claw you know growing up as a boy scout um growing up with and then as an adult you know and teaching the next generation how to start a fire and these like skills these outdoor-based skills boy scout skills um You know, it's just so common to pick up a feather and put it in your curiosity case at home. You know, it's so common to pick up, you know, a petrified piece of wood or, you know, these oddities, these curiosities of the of the natural space. And so when I saw this um, scrap of fur, I said, "Oh well, yeah, let me let me grab a a claw. That'd be make an interesting little keepsake." Um, And I was I was just gonna grab a claw and just keep going on my way as I'm hunting. And so I removed a knife that was in a sheath on my right. Hip belt. And then I put the knife in my left hand and took my backpack off, took my bow, set my bow down, and kneeled down to, you know, get to work on maybe the top, you know, 30 seconds it was going to take me to take this claw off and keep going. And, you know, before I even got within, I don't know, I, I recall, I remember the moment. I remember kneeling down. I remember putting both hands can to take off a claw and i remember i had not even got to the base of the can where this piece of fur was and um i just felt this incredible flood of warmth kind of like when someone puts a warm towel on your neck or a blow dryer mm-hmm. and um and then the sound of sort of high frequency gone bad when you're listening to like an audio check at a concert or, you know, some, you know, you know what I mean? There's like interference between a microphone and a speaker or something. And it, um, makes that crazy high frequency noise. I remember hearing that in my brain and then just black curtain call. Um, that's kind of, that's what brought me to the moment of the story I shared when we started
0: yeah and so 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 you so you come to like did you black so you blacked out and then you come to a little bit later and like what do you remember thinking in that moment like are you I mean I I can imagine you're probably just like what the heck just happened Um, but you come to in the moment and like take take it from there
1: yeah the the moment the, the next moment of life was that I recall was peaceful it was um, I I was on my back. I was looking. I I, I was on my back, so I was my head was um, facing skywards, and there were you know scudding, you know slow moving kind of popcorn clouds, if you will, and blue sky and kind of classic fall Montana day, and you know, I could see the tree limbs protruding from my peripheral into the scu- into the scene above me. And I remember, I'll, I'll re- totally remember my thought. My thought was, "Why am I on my back? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> why am I laying here? Well, I don't, I didn't, you know, I, like it was that simple. It was not. I knew where here was. You know, why that I was next to this can with this. Bear. Like in that moment, it was just, "Why am I on my back? This seems funny." And and so the next thought that I can recall clear as day was my my internal um, Active mind just saying, well, get to your feet. That's what you do next. Get to your feet. Stand up. You know, and and I re- I remember standing up, and then <clears throat> the my active memory even to this day eight years let's see nine years later now, um, I I had yet to be able to piece back the next snapshot of time. So from getting to my feet, which I do remember, the next memory I have out after that is um, is the sound of. The sound of gravel, or the sound of, of stones beneath feet, and the um, and 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 and, the, and then the, that was what I heard, and then I saw. You know, I, I remember was witnessing the, the the valley below me, or the the terrain. You know, the the place that I was in geographically, which was this kind of tight, sweeping valley. There was a river in the bottom of the valley. I could see dotted homes, um, and. And I, I my and I remember my memory captured, oh, okay, you that's the Yellowstone River, that's the town of Gardner, Montana, and then like clockwork, one, two three, four, five, yeah, you know, I started piecing together my memory like really rapidly until no. and you know like just it kind of I just, it probably was felt like thirty minutes, but it was probably a minute while still walking that my brain was able to crunch the numbers and say, oh." You were hiking this morning. You're walking now. Um, why were you here? That, oh, you were hunting. That's right. I was hunting. Um, oh, I saw that scrap of fur. Oh, yeah, I ran. I saw that thing. I was going to take a cough. Oh, shit. There was that noise and that heat. You know, and it was just like that, like, dunk, 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 that, I'm, that I'm like kind of re- like capturing all these memories. And then as I got to the place of remembering the heat and the noise of the high frequency, then only in that point, Did I recognize that my left hand was my arm was folded at a 90, like close to my body as if I was holding like a paper under my bicep to my chest? You know, so you're like holding your wing in and my left hand was completely, you know, it was like in this grotesque kind of like claw, if you will. But it was black, it was burnt, completely burnt. And to the point where I even think I believe, remember being able to see, you know, bone sticking through. And, um, and then in that moment, I put two and two together and thought, oh, wow, that noise was like, electro- oh shit, I was electrocuted.
0: Jeez. All right. And so, so you come to all this happens, like does natural instinct take over? Or are you just trying to get yourself back to, you know, I think from what I recall, you sort of had a, you were out there, you know, you had sort of like a two or three mile, uh track back because you were a solo so does natural instinct take over like what are your thoughts in that moment when you start to realize like oh shit i i've been pretty badly injured because I mean you had like 2400 volts go through you which is i don't i don't really know how that equates from like a power but from from my understanding like that's that's something that not a lot of people necessarily live through
1: Yeah, and from what I've what I've what I've heard and what I've been told, it's definitely not something a lot of people live through. Um, And so, if you go back to that moment of kind of piecing it all together while walking, I recall you know the, the recollection comes back, and then I realize, and it's interesting because there's there's no one there other than me, you know, and there's no. You know, at thirty years old, I'd never seen anyone else severely electrocuted, nor been around. But I guess I, you know, the experiences of our life to date, you know, and 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 I, I think my experience to date of you know I've been around high trauma, and um, you know I've broken plenty of bones, and I could been in around enough of mortality to, I think, to kind of recognize that I was severely injured, and yet there was something there. There was deep inside was a whole different you know, radio station that I was tuned into. And that radio station was, you know, it was it was like clearly only broadcasting one thing. And the thing it was that I was hearing from this broadcast inside me was, you're dying and you're currently walking to save your life. And whatever you do, do not stop walking. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, do not stop walking. And and so he's seeing what I was like the physical nature. Okay. Physically deduced. I was burnt. I knew where I was. I recalled. I was hunting, didn't know what the can really was, but I knew that's where the electricity came from. And I was walking to save my life. And then the inside radio station in my head deep inside was saying, you know, yeah, you're on the right track. You're walking to save your life. And whatever you do, don't stop. And so I just started repeating that. I just started repeating, don't stop walking. Don't stop walking. Like On repeat the whole way out. And I don't, I can't tell you if I was actually vocalizing it or if it was just, you know, something that I was chanting like a mantra to myself, Mm -hmm. but it was, that's, you know, it was most definitely the cadence I was singing was don't stop and continued to walk all the way down to the valley floor until I made it to a a home. And, um, there was a gentleman on the outside of the home doing yard work who, you know spotted me from 50 yards away and helped me sit down and called 911 um you know effectively helped make the connection between me and getting 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 help that kept me alive
0: yeah jeez okay all right man so i mean so you know the the experience happens you you managed to to sort of muster together the I guess that that part of of us that is just sort of hopefully hardwired into all of us is just like get back, you know, get back to civilization, get back and and just keep walking. Do you remember anything else from that time, or is that just sort of like that 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 natural, maybe not even natural, but like primal instinct within you to to get you back to safety?
1: Mm, Yeah. Well, I I guess the what I what, what I think there's there's lots of little details that I remember, but I think into your question, I it's it maybe a good opportunity to patch it back to the story we started with, which was, um, you know, like share a story or time or moment that has defined you, and and so, you know, the the, the as I've reflected about that, as you can imagine anybody would have reflected many many times on. moment like that and I've had years to do it thankfully and so I've reflected a lot on that moment of my eyes opening and because I've been asked many times you know what why why do you think you even got up off the floor and and so I you know I, I remember I think I just remember I remember walking out and I remember feeling that a certain amount of it felt like it, like life was so threadbare in that moment. Like there was, you know, it was like that moment was so tenuous that it was simplified down to just like the the words "don't stop walking." The act of not moving my feet, and and that was it. That was all that mattered. And so I think I've long remembered and thought about that journey off the mountain <clears throat> and how wrapped up we get in untold numbers of things to do that we want to do that we need to do every single day and it is so rare that we pour ourselves into one dedicated act ever Mm. and um and so i've reflected a lot on that and i'm your consummate multitasker I am your consummate do not do not tell me you're going to be 10 minutes late because then I'm going to be 30 minutes late because I'm going to go do something else you know like I am the, I you know I have like insatiable appetite to to get things done and, and try and you know put myself into lots of things at once and so I just have never been able I've never I, I I've never been able to lose sight of the beauty of that moment which is kind of resurrecting from my deathbed in the woods and. The fact that, like, just by nature and you know by need, I had, you know life had distilled it down, itself down into one thing, maybe a couple, but it was repeat the initiative or the, you know the mantra: "Don't stop walking." Okay, that's that's the repetition of task, and then do the work. Don't mm-hmm. stop. <laughs> you know, for one foot after the other, one foot after the other, and and that's all that mattered.
0: And that yeah is I was- cool. I think i was just going to say like you know I, I think that's such a powerful experience that that i feel like you know while me- in i mean hardly any of us i'm sure that probably most of the people that are, are listening to this have not had that experience that connection to doing that one thing and taking that next step and just you know <laughs> moving forward through obstacles through like these, these incredibly challenging moments in life. And while maybe people haven't been in that physical, uh, critical nature before, I think that we can all feel that from you. And I'm just wondering, like, can you give the listener some context to where you were at, at this point in your life? Cause from what I remember, you were, you know, you're about 30 Mm. years old and I think by this time you've already started to build up a pretty good reputation as a chef. Um, But maybe fill in some of those details for the listener, like give us some context of what's happening outside of this, because we're getting a very, you know, sliver moment of something that is, is really sort of like traumatic and, and jarring, but give, fill in the blanks for what's happening in your life at this time.
1: So 2000, in 2011, the fall of 2011, I was just, gosh, I had just left a 10 year career as a chef working on super yachts and yachts in general. Um, so, so in essence, I had spent a decade as a private chef in the yachting industry, w- traveling through the Americas and through Europe, Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and had built a career out of being a chef, but not in a restaurant, but rather um, as a private chef on yachts. And it was an incredible, incredibly fun, incredibly rewarding, um, just a tremendous Business to be in tremendous role to have. Um, think of being a young young chef at 21, graduating culinary school in Seattle, Washington, and and then all of a sudden you're traveling the marketplaces of the world. So as a young chef, it was a dream come true. And, and you know, being that you're on a yacht, you know, it's not that there were untold amounts of resources, but my budget was pretty padded, <laughs> you know. And so as a chef, it was like playtime. It was so fun. It was so awesome. To find yourself in Sardinia in the Mediterranean, you know, eating those cheeses and those olives and drinking that wine, and then all of a sudden, you know, a week later, maybe you'd be in Spain, and and then boom, you're in that marketplace. So as a young chef, it was a tremendous ten-year time period, and um, and yet at some point, I started to recognize that I was falling out of my not my love, I would say, but I was falling out of my passion for the work I was doing. And I was finding that the lack of passion was starting to make the 20 hour days and the hustle and the grind. And the fact that I, you know, hadn't really lived at home in 10 years and my parents were getting older and my little, you know, my, my siblings were getting older with me and I felt this disconnect from home and place. And so the sort of, beauty and the awesomeness that is the yachting industry because to travel like that is exceptional it just started to pale you know and i recognized that and that sucked and i thought well i'm in trouble here this is getting harder and harder to do and um and then through through kind of a, a longer story and a combination of factors um but with my girlfriend at the time jenny jane and um my sister indra and my brother eugenio the idea kind of was put to paper that let's start a food brand that will share, you know, Eduardo's ethos and our ethos on food being an experience and food being more than just a nutritional kind of caloric count, but rather this holistic um, food for, for, the, for the mind, body and the soul. Um, and we would do it through a line called Montana Mex that was, you know, a Latino inspired true to my roots, a Latino inspired line of foods. And then in order to help expose a small brand like that, and also as a um, opportunity to reach even more people with sort of the ethos behind our food story and my belief in food being such an integral part of community and place and self, we would launch a TV show. And, And that was a TV show that Jenny Jane really had seen through our everyday act. You know, we would come home to Montana on a vacation from the boat. And, you know, we would eat over the campfire, we would go fishing, we would surf, and whether we, if we we're in Costa Rica, we'd be surfing. And I guess the, the, the summary is we would be around the world. And, and if I wasn't in the galley of a yacht, I'd want to be cooking over a fire, kind of really close to how I grew up. And Jenny took witness and developed a TV show concept around it. And so I left the yachting industry May of 11, May 2011, to incorporate and build this brand called Montana Max. With my business partners and then to uh, work with jen to sell a tv show and so when you get up to october 9th you know we had this little farmer's market company called montana max and we were selling some products at the farmer's market and i mean that's about how small it was big dreams small small movement big dreams and um and yet on the tv show front we had you know fully shot and developed a sizzle reel over you know over 2010 to 11. And we had found a production partner. We had um, I had gained management with um, William Morris Endeavor, a huge talent agency um, that's global. And I mean, God, we were like a, a week away from um, getting in the room with the Food Network, uh, who had already told us they loved the concept and they wanted the first right to to buy that concept. And um, so, I mean, life was life was pretty good, you know. And, and and I just spent the summer at home after ten years of being abroad. Right, thirty years old you know and and i love montana like it there's like 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 nothing like no other geographic place in the world do you know do i love like i love montana and so imagine having spent 10 years traveling and and then kind of launching off on this whole new endeavor of being you know a tv show host and also being a business owner it was just a new and exciting and you know kind of time period with the You know, kind of the atmosphere of a homecoming because I hadn't been home in 10 years really. And, um, you know, not for a full time period. So, God, it was just an awesome time. And, and literally on that day, on October 9th, 2011, I think I was just taking a hike for me. Like I was hunting, but it was so nice to just be out in the woods and on my own
0: time. You know, just I would say I was, gosh, it was at peace. Yeah. Wow, man. Well, wow. I appreciate you sharing. You know, sort of filling in some of the life that was happening around that time period. It sounds like you were in in a pretty interesting transition phase, you know, and starting to settle down and settle in. And you know, all of a sudden, along comes this this. Unexpected, you know, unplanned for, just sort of horrendous events. And uh, hopefully, I'm not sort of like overdramatizing. But I think from anyone that's that's listening, they can sort of, I think they've already gotten the drift that like this is pretty damn serious. And so, you know, walk us through. You, you know, you you've you've walked back. You have found civilization. Like, let's come back to this moment. You found someone. You get, from my understanding, airlifted out. You get taken to the hospital and, you know, at what point, at what point does like, like walk us through what care looks like and, and how you started to sort of mentally grapple with what had taken place?
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's a, it's important. I think it's important to share, um, in this story that ignorance is so often seen as this kind of, this, this faulty, you know, negative character that plays a role in our lives when we don't know something or if we're ignorant like you know I think we can hide from feeling like we're ignorant you know you know you're in a group of people they're talking about something and unless you bold and bravely just say wait a minute what are you talking about I don't know you know so often our knee jerk is to insulate ourselves and just remain ignorant and, and be like oh I'm not gonna let anyone know I don't know that you know and yet so it's seen as like this negative thing and yet in that moment I was so stripped down bare of of anything that the boundaries were just dropped, you know, and, and, and yet the one place of ignorance that, that remained that actually became a help was, you know, I don't think I realized how severe my injury was until, um, gosh, I think it, I think it, I think it it came for, it took years for it to probably really set in what had happened and how um, damaging that moment had been, you know, became in my life. And, and what it really broke down, you know, because it, you know, just to put in perspective that 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 place of shock for anyone who's been there, um, and it doesn't have to be physical trauma that brings us into shock. I think any any jarring moment that is so intense to do de- as to derail us um, that can produce shock, which is a place of disbelief where you're just not paying attention to the truths around you. And and I remember landing. I do remember this, right? I remember landing in Salt Lake City and transferring from the med jet to the ambulance, and the um, one of the paramedics said, uh, "Welcome, welcome to Salt Lake City, Mr. Garcia. Hang in there. We're going to have you, you know, up to the university, you know, up to the up to the burn center, or the ER in a moment. Just hang tight, you know." And he, I think, that's just how a, a, a trauma you know, like a caregiver and, uh, you know, the emergency paramedics, they're trained to speak to the patient, even if the patient's not, you know, alert, awake, et cetera. And yet I remember that EMT saying that. And I remember saying, Salt Lake, how am I going to get home tonight? You know? And, Mm. and, and, and I mean, they, they, I, I, I like to remember that they laughed with me and I probably didn't laugh, but that, that just goes to show that's where my brain was, was that, Oh well, some you know, like get some duct tape and you know some stitches, and they'll reset whatever's burnt down there, and I'll be fine. And little did I realize that I would end up being in ICU um, for fifty days. Uh, Maybe it was it was like forty eight to fifty days. I I don't recall for certain. Um, And you know, I think during that stay of ICU, I ended up tallying maybe a total of eighteen surgeries. And that first five day period, as I've been told, because I don't recall much of the first few days was very life and death. It was, you know, the doctor, Dr. Morris, who was the surgeon on call is just a classic quote that was when I walked in, he said that I was a bag of bones with a heartbeat. And so that was the scene, that was the scenario, you know, and, and the the U- University of Utah Burn Center saved my life. They. They, they stabilized me. They cleaned, cleaned my, my wounds up and got me stabilized. And, um, you know, my family flew in and Jenny Jane, who was in England at the time, um, she flew over. And that was the beginning of a very intense 48 days of acute care, um, which involved, um, you know, having my left hand amputated at the midpoint of my forearm between my elbow and my wrist, multiple surgeries. A ton of physical pain, um, just a, just a, an incredibly intense time period. An incredibly intense time period.
0: All right. So you know, I think we don't necessarily have to spend too much too too much time on you know this this sort of uh, time period that you're in because I think people kind of are starting to get the gist of it. But um, from again, from my understanding, you spent somewhere around I think 48 days in the hospital many of which were in intensive care um you know you sort of like you had a and you had an infection um can you give the listener to the best of your ability the just sort of like the breakdown of what the ramifications of of this incident were physically to you
1: yeah and um the so in to, yeah, in total, I, I like I said, I lost um, you know my forearm in the midpoint of my forearm. That's where I received my amputation. So you know, I I, I don't really count the wrist and the forearm when I say I do, I lost my left hand is how I describe it. Um, and um, I, you know, I had sections of ribs removed from my left torso, which was one of my exit wounds, and. Um, You know and i actually elected to not have those bones put back in titanium rod replacements um so today um i live with a tender place uh which is a hole you know where those ribs were burnt so so bad so um completely that they were removed because it was dead they were dead bones and so you know i have sort of that hole in my chest that i need to I, if I do anything dynamic like snowboarding or horseback riding or, um, you know, ATV type stuff, anything big dynamic motions, I wear a carbon fiber shield that goes over that, um, that soft point in my rib cage. Um, but yeah, I mean, 20, 21 total surgeries, plastic surgery to repair, um, my scalp is incredible body reconstruction, um, in nine different places where I had my exit wounds and um and then you know i think the, the it's hard to glass over it but just to, to keep things tight in this in, in this interview um one of my exit wounds was you know in in my in my jewels in my scrotum and um and it was deduced in one of the surgeries that my left testy was not savable um salvageable and um but the other one thankfully was and so they put my purse back together so to speak and um you know and and you know they tell you this is so interesting when you have a surgery where you are put under you know you come out of your surgery and it's like christmas day every time because you just don't know what gifts you're going to be given you don't know what 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 you, you you hope to you hope going into it that the following happens here's the best case scenario but you never know when you wake up what will have happened and so you always you know you kind of ask for the recap so what happened <laughs> you know and um and anyway you know i was told well your left testy was not viable so they removed it and um it was myself it was Jenny Jane and my twin brother Aohenio in the room i think and and i remember making an off comment about that testicle you know just like ah, that was the small one <laughs> you know like meh, uh, we never needed that one anyway and um and I just kind of brushed past it, and and then I think I said something offhand after the doctor left the room about well I already I already I always had an issue with that one I always had an issue with that one that one I never liked that one and my twin brother pushed me for more details he Aohenio was like well, what are you talking about and I told him about a time in 2007 on the yacht in Saint Tropez I'll never forget it I had intense pain in my groin and um and i remember telling the captain that i thought i needed to see a doctor because i was just in pain and i'm not one to covet your bitch or moan much about pain and um and he said oh well one of the guests you know he's like he's like yeah one of the guests on board is the doctor and maybe they want check that we'll check you out and so i did i asked one of the guests and they gave me a quick physical and he was like well, how many hours a day are you standing on your feet well 20 hours give or take 18 17 on average and Like, holy crap, well, get take a day off for one, take a ibuprofen to reduce the inflammation for two, and I think you're gonna be fine. You're probably just overworked. And like any other mid 20 year old man, that's what I wanted to hear was just pop a pill, you'll be fine, take some rest, you know, not go to the doctor, get it checked out, etc. And so I anyway, share that story with my brother, right? And he ends up kind of just like nodding his head a little and walking out the door and maybe he hears more than I could see. And, um, and he gets the, the, he tracks down the surgeon that had just kind of came in the room 10 minutes prior to tell us, tell me that I'd lost my testicle in the surgery. And he says, Hey, by the way, my brother just shared the story about how that one, you know, that one testee was never really the good one. And it always gave him some issues and I just made it. He sounded funny to me. So I wanted you to know. And so that set off like a trigger of events, like these little red flags, and the team went back into the CAT scans and um, and kind of relooked at some mater- at the material at the scans from prior and um, and then called the, called the and 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 took the testy that was removed and sent it to the lab and you fast forward and lo and behold that that testicle had came in positive for testicular cancer and so. You know, I you know all of a sudden I'm being told by the the doctor uh, at the next visit, like, well, hey, by the way, we sent that test that you removed to the lab and it came back positive. And as we looked at, we re looked at your scans, we do see this mass right here, and it's just about five inches up from your from your pelvic bone, uh, right next to your spine. It's right in the perfect place for a second stage tumor to be. And we are really concerned about this, and we are recommending that we immediately pause all of your plastic surgeries we're doing, and 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 we button you back up so that we can immediately address this testicular cancer issue. And so we did. It was like tremendous news to receive on top of tremendous events. And um, so when I wrap up, kind of all the things that transpired, you know, I cannot. But not share the fact that I also left the ICU, um, you know, diagnosed as a the cancer patient and headed towards three months of intense chemotherapy as well.
0: I mean, was there a part of you that was just sort of like, "What the fuck?" Because like I'm, li- <laughs> like I'm listening to your story and I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, and I, you know, I can only imagine sitting there being like are you like, I mean, it, it just, I, I find myself being like, is that like, how does that even transpire? You know, I can put myself in that situation and and sort of be like, is that a joke? Like, is this real? Like, are you, are you punking me right now? Like, is Ashton Kutcher going to come out of the ICU or somewhere? And like, this is all going to be recorded. Like, you know, how did you, how did you handle that? Because here, like here you are going through surgery after surgery, you know you're on medication. Your your family is like pulling for you. Um, you know you're you're healing from electrical burns, and I mean, there's just so much happening in your body. And then all of a sudden, you get told this, which is completely out of right field. Like, what is what's your mental state during this? Like, how did you face that? I'm I'm so curious.
1: Yeah, it, it it's I mean it's pretty messed up, really, and and completely. You can't. What I've heard it from people. I've heard the script described so many ways, but one of the ones I, I I really stuck with was you can't even write that story. Like that that story is so fucked up. Like how do you even write that script? You know, um, and and yet, you know, I'm. It's nine years later right now, uh, having this conversation with you and with everyone listening, and so I, I just want to preface that there's been considerable time for equilibrium and um, understanding to come into place into this conversation right here, right now. So trying to recall that very moment, um, some of it is acute and other, other parts of my memory are kind of gathered. And, and, and I recall being, I think there was a portion of me that was scared because, if you've never had cancer or if you're not around cancer through a family or a friend or if you don't have any experience with it, just like anything else to the non-experience, it, you know, newness can be scary. Newness can be fraught with doubt, right? And so in that moment, I remember there was a portion of me that was just scared because someone had just, you know, pinned the tail on the donkey and the tail said cancer. And I was like, well, shit, you know, that means that can mean all of these things. And, and it was through, and yet I was surrounded by help. I was surrounded by an incredible professional team at the University of Utah Burn Center, and then, you know, which is also connected to the Huntsman Cancer Institute. So there was just a tremendous oncology team just immediately on top of it. And then, um, and then my family, my family and friends, you know, um, my family that was living, you know, in the hospital with me, Jenny Jane, that was sleeping every day in a recliner next to me. And there was, you know, and and I spoke about it, Connor, in a Ted talk that I gave online, if anyone wants to listen to it. And I think it's a TEDx talk. So those are the shorter ones, but um, you know, where I said, where I share this moment that came across that, that happened in, in the ICU stay, which was that I recognized that although I felt like I was bandaged and in bed, you know, I, w- I was so, I was, I was so on the flip side of being what I would imagine capable Eduardo looking and feeling like, which is kind of like a normal, healthy, operating human. And yet, here I am in this bed with bandages. I, you know, I have to ask people to do all of these kind of um, infantile, you know, like primary functions for me, help me keep myself clean, and and you know, every, you know, change me and everything else that. It was humbling. It was like walking out of the woods. It was like, again, that place of zero where I realized that there was so much help around me that my role was to roll with the help. So if everybody else was showing up with a smile, I had to show up with a smile. If everybody else was showing up, rolling their sleeves up with a can-do attitude, well, sure as shit, I had to as well. And, Mm. you know, it's like, like I did not want to be one more thing that they had to deal with. You know, like I couldn't even imagine... You know you you, just having my brother or my mom or jenny or any of the nurses who we ended up knowing very closely and keep in touch with to this day um walking in and having to deal with my attitude right because because that's a powerful thing and i know this about myself as you know i can throw it around and so i recall in that moment there was probably a a section you know like a a, like a like a whisper of being Mm -hmm. pissed being angry being upset not knowing, being fearful. I mean, I mean, okay, I lost my testy too, but at the end of the day, like I had to lose it. I had no choice. So just surrender. You know, there was a, so much surrender on 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 a minute by minute basis in that ICU room that it became what we did. You just surrender and you pick, you know, and then you 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 tr- you turn to the next battle because there was no shortage of them. And and because of the tremendous support, I found the strength in myself to naturally rally and say, okay, well, we're going to beat this thing. What is it? Let's learn about testicular cancer. <laughs> Here we go. Google missing testicle. How do we do this? You know, like <laughs> all of the things, man, it was incredible. And, it, and, and, and in part that attitude, I, I, I think, and again, I'm re- kind of retroactively thinking about all this, but I'm certain that that attitude, everybody was singing that song and, and yet, you know, I'm sure it was different for everyone else with the door closed in the bathroom with the lights off, you know, I'm sure there was tears. Everyone had their own moments of of um, like, holy shit, what is happening to our family and our lives. But yeah. um, when it came to being on the battle line, um, gosh, everyone was tremendous.
0: Everyone you- was just so tremendous can you say a little bit more about because i think i think what you're touching on is actually is so 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 important and something that i think is relatable in the sense that you know we all we all know people in our lives who are going through something traumatic something tremendous something you know whether it's Cancer Mm. or, you know, a health issue or something, something traumatic happens like a car accident or whatever the case may be. And I think that one of the greatest challenges that we that we all face as human beings is to watch someone that we love deeply, really struggle in some way. And so I am mm-hmm. I I would love for you to speak to that because I think, you know, you're talking about how your family rallied around you. You're talking about how you sort of felt like you needed to show up in that space. So where I'd actually like to just start here is like, what was that experience like for you? W- were there any expectations that you felt like you had to... To sort of like put on a certain, you know, mentality, or caretake the people around you, or you know, like what was the experience like for you externally, and then you know what what do you think that other people need to know about supporting someone going through that? So let's just start with you. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, um, it, that experience for me, it I, I'd say that I wasn't able to fully remove anger from my equation, mm. but I recognized early on that um, I recognized, I, re- I, I, I recognize, I know, I, you know, I n- naturally have sort of an angry streak to me that I've worked on my whole life, but you know, I, I definitely knew it as a little as a kid and dealt with it in my teens and twenties. And um, and so in that moment, I, I just recognized I could not surrender to that, to giving my energy to that because that would be destructive and there was enough destruction. So I knew that I could see that. And, 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 and this is in the moment, you know, this is like in that ICU state, And, um, and that I'll go back to where I said ignorance is, is, can be helpful. And I think I just had, I didn't fully wrap my, I didn't understand how would I, that it was going to take years of physical recovery that it would take years upon years of emotional recovery. And I, I tend to be a fairly improv, uh, improvisational person, a fairly impromptu person. I can just kind of move quite quickly and pivot quite quickly in, in certain things. And so I, you know, I, 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 I naturally was able to just kind of turn on the curiosity meter, which I have innately. And, 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 and so my curiosity of like really interest, like, like, detailed things of, wow, okay, so how many stitches did you put in and how do you remove them and what's that tool called? And, you know, when you remove my testicle, what does that do to my blank, blank, blank functions? And, you know, like there was, it was new, all this stuff was new. And so the, the, the freshness of my scenario, the lack of understanding that I now had as to my life moving forward, it almost took precedence to any interest I had in, camping out on what the damage that had already occurred, right? Mm. Like that was done, that had happened. So for me, I just found myself really curious about what life was going to be like moving forward. And I found that others around me, business partners, my friends, my, my Jenny Jane, you know, my family, even the nursing team, everybody else was equally interested in having those conversations about how to move forward. I mean, the nursing team and the you know, um, they they had to have those with me because that was part of physical therapy. All right, we're going to go in here, and we're going to do this, and it's going to help keep your scar tissue supple. You know, so every day was full of learning. Every day was full of newness, and um, and at some point you surrender to it to the point where, and, and if if anyone goes out and you watch charge and I hope you do, um, there's a scene, the scene where I'm leaving the hospital is so raw, it's so beautiful, and I got to give kudos to Jen for. Filming pretty much ninety percent of the the hospital footage she filmed, and uh, or captured on film, and and that footage is so raw when we're leaving the hospital, and what I see in myself when I watch that moment of the film is um, is it is is the the fact of the matter of it hitting me that I had become comfortable in ICU. Like we had developed mm. a team and a structure and a plan. And this is where you go get your, your you know, this is where you'll get food. And this is, this is your bed and this is your room number. And this is the view out that window. And so much had started to just become the normal that when I left ICU, even though, you know, all I wanted to do was get back to life, I felt so vulnerable all of a sudden. And I realized how comfortable I had become in the hospital that all of a sudden we were walking out of the hospital and checking out with all that, without that help. So, um, so I think that just and as an example, you know, you asked that question, I think for me, I really gave myself up to just scrambling for straws, trying to learn about my newfound reality, staying curious about all of the pieces. I, I wanted to, not just be told this and this and this is going to happen, but I wanted to actively participate in how it was going to happen. Therefore I needed to try and know as much as I could. And, and then, you know, for, for the team around me, I think, Oh my gosh, I, you know, and, and if anyone listening you know, in Connor, you know, this about me just through our short time together is I I I'm dedicated to helping others. And, and I just don't know how else to say thank you to, the incredible equity that was given to me in time and resource and energy and um, intention and you know thoughts and prayers, and all of the above, the amount of those things that were poured into me, which I do believe was totally integral in my recovery, in my survival, you know, I just can't imagine. So I can't right right rightfully share what it was like for any of those other peoples other than it was obviously going to be hard. And it derailed everybody, and so part of my mo now is to give back and help others, and it's kind of my way of saying thanks to everybody.
0: Mm, so good, man. And do you did you find, or do you find that as you do reflect back, that there was a part of you that was, you know, trying to caretake them? Because I think one of the things that I've noticed in you know working with people that have gone through these traumatic events and and whatnot is that there's there's like this desire to want to caretake the caretakers, you know, like in those moments to like reassure them that, that everything's going to be okay. And like, uh, you know, I guess, I guess just reflecting on that one, was there that part of you? And and two, you know, when you think about people that are listening to this, who are really trying to support someone in their life, that's going through, you know, it's going through hell. Um, How, like, what words of wisdom would you give to them?
1: I would just right out of the gate, I, I just, you know, it's, I would want the, I would want, I don't know how to say it, Connor, but I, I just, with all due respect, I guess, I would give words of wisdom because I can't assume to know what anyone else's scenario is. And, and I do know sometimes I can come across as so, so positive, so be, you know, so Eduardo that mm-hmm. it, it may not, you know, it may come across as like cavalier or, you know, not, uh, in recognition that everyone else has it different and i totally get that and yet i have through this experience i have learned that we we each need to become a beacon individually in the world and and that means it is really up to us to even in the moment of being the patient and then all the way back to that moment of being on the forest floor with my eyes open you know we are ultimately responsible for our for us for our own individual actions to 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 the ultimate degree that as long as you know like our heart is beating, we are responsible for ourselves, and so so I guess my encouragement would be to not hold back mm. and um just because one you know just because I had cancer didn't mean i couldn't keep fighting, just because I lost my hand didn't mean i couldn't couldn't keep and then just fill the, fill in the blanks, so I think that's what I would encourage to anybody listening, who's hit a wall, who, you know, we will all hit walls. So they're coming and we just, that's life, you know, that's just how this is. And, or if you're helping someone who's hit a wall is that, is to never assume that the patient cannot do something, you know, like, 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 like 10,000 feet up. Right. Because I do believe that even when I couldn't do much other than move my eyes and wink, or just move my eyes and look, you know, um, there's so much that can be translated through without words and without action, just through what you're pouring into the room, through any outlet you have, even if it's just vibe. And, you know, you don't have to believe in vibe to put it out. Like, we all resonate a certain way, we all put off a certain something. And that's the magic of the world. And so um, just to believe that, no matter what we're going through, what you're going through, what I'm going through, we always have the ability to turn our ship. We always have the ability to direct our traffic, to figure out, to to, to commit ourselves to do it in a certain way. And and I haven't always done it right. And, and this is my injury aside, right? So, that, you know, when I say this and when I offer advice like that, it's basically to, to, it's regardless of who we are, where we're coming from and what we're dealing with, um, to, to never forget that if if you've got, if your heart is beating, you are empowered. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, those sound like pretty damn good words of wisdom to me, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. That was, uh, that was, that was solid. Okay. So, you know, I feel like we've, we've covered a good amount and I, I feel like we could, you know, get into so much here, you know, like a Joe Rogan style two and a half hour combo about, about everything. But I, I am curious about you know you you get through the recovery and you know obviously you go back into quote unquote normal life which i'm sure has radically you know radically changed and you know i'm 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 very curious about how your how your mind changed like how did your internal landscape change because of all this did it just like accentuate the parts of you that were already there did you find new parts of you that you didn't know exist like how did this how did this develop your internal landscape
1: um i reflect on my mom and my mom is a very loving mother and she's the best for me and so when my mom Saw, witnessed this injury, and when you know we've spoke about it so much, but she would have told me in the moment, you know, um, sometime during that ICU stage, she she would have reflected and shared with me that um that, that you know, there's always the other side of the coin, there's always a silver lining, and for her, perhaps there was a much needed dose of humility in in this whole event, and that's hard to hear from. Those close to you, those closest to you, especially in that moment, and yet, um, you know, I I think so much of that is true. That, I mean, I'm I'm still Eduardo, you know, Connor. Like I'm still me, man. I'm missing a hand, but I I still, you know, so much about me remains the same. And you know, I, I know that I've been asked before, like, "Gosh, did this injury kickstart your desire to help others or your desire to give to others?" or Um, you know, inspire or motivate. And the truth would be, no, this injury did not start any of those things. That's really been a fundamental part of me since a very young age, since a very, very young age. And yet, as we go through life, we pick up different tools and we pick up different um, languages. And I mean, if we're in Italy, it's good to know Italian. And if you really want to get deep with someone, you know, And, and the same goes for this is that, because of this experience, I have learned a language with which I I can really kind of operate in, in other places now, um having having been so close to death and having experienced major trauma. And and so my interest in helping others and my interest in adding value to others. I mean, if we think back to that Yacht chef that was becoming burnt out, right? You know, my refound passion um after yachting was in wanting to share my stoke of food, wanting to benefit other people's lives through the lens of food, through the language of food. And so you know, I kind of I feel like after this injury, that same interest to add to others' lives in a positive way, um, has remained, but now I have multiple different languages I can speak. And so the the breadth of 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 you know the, the the amount of folks that I could potentially reach out to or be in connection with, um, and on you know has has only increased. So kind of screwed up way of thinking about it, but I guess the way I think about it is, yeah. It, with all due respect to family and friends and the businesses and everything, I mean, it tanked us. It c- crushed us. It completely, completely floored my family and and community. And yet from it, you know, was born sort of reborn the same guy, Eduardo, but with even more tools in the belt. And it, and it just, you know, the rebuild was the hard part that the patience needed, right? The time.
0: Hmm. So good, man. I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I've, I have. A slew of questions that I feel like we didn't <laughs> we didn't have a chance to get to, um so I'm sure I'll have to have you back on the show to to dig into more of this, but I'm curious, just a little bit of a glimpse of like you know it's almost a decade later, it's about nine years later. What does life look like now?
1: yeah, uh, life now, thank you for asking and letting me I get so passionate about this connor and I'm so psyched to be here with everybody that. I can hardly refrain myself from just sharing and and it can get to run long. But right now um, I got married last summer to uh, my wife, Becca. We are madly in love with where we're at and designing um, the potential for family in the future. And, um, you know, I've continued to develop my love of food and I do that now through gardening also and growing food um, and learning how to grow food. It's, you want, to, you want to talk about how to not get burnt out on something. Just make it harder, <laughs> you know, Like make it harder. Wait wait 150 days for for that ingredient to show up in your kitchen through a ton of hard work of gardening. And you do want to talk about a profound respect for something. That's how you get it is, is by putting more effort into it. Um, and so, so yeah, the, the, my home life, I'm grateful for it. And, and then professionally, every day I'm working on um, sharing my love of food either through um, through film, through media opportunities. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the, the food brand Montana Max, a little farmer's market company still out there, you know, we're, you know, we are direct for folks that want to go visit our website, please do. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, we are also in grocery stores. So it's like, it's kind of like a pinch me moment, you know, every day when I show up to work and I think, gosh, that little farmer's market company is now, You know, like out there in the Whole Foods and the, you know, Sprouts markets and the different stores of the world and people without some, you know, the best is when they don't even know me, you know, and and they didn't learn about Mex through my story, but they just saw an organic ketchup on the shelf at their, you know, their local Albertsons or whatever it is. And, you know, they're like, ah, no corn syrup, no preservatives. Don't know who Shepard Wardo Garcia is, but this sounds good, <laughs> you know, and they get it and try it. And then we'll get a message saying, Holy smokes, this ketchup blew my socks off. And then I dug into the website and saw the story, and holy smokes. And so, yeah, that's, that's, it's so awesome, man. And, and that's kind of my day to day right now is the CEO of Montana Max and, uh, and running that brand and, um, and then just focusing on, I do a, I do a fair amount of sharing the documentary charged with with others and so I'll travel around the country quite a bit sharing my journey through this traumatic event and how um, it could so easily be seen as the worst day of my life and, and yet with all due respect to how hard it was and has continued to be for all of us to rebound it um, it you know I feel like it gave me it gave me a second opportunity to do life as best, you know, to the best of my abilities and, and, and do it even better.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, just uh, a few rapid fire questions in first person for you to close down. Is that cool? Let's go. My father is? Mm -hmm.
1: My father is Manuel Alfredo Garcia. He's a fourth generation shark and lobster fisherman from the Yucatan of Mexico, And he is with me every day, um, even though he's no longer physically with us.
0: Mm. And growing up as a kid, I would describe myself as?
1: Growing up as a kid, I would describe myself as a rebellious punk with a good heart and a lot of energy.
0: (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) What that kid would have never expected I would become in my adult years is? Um, that kid would have never expected that
1: I would have, oh my gosh, would have become, yeah, would have never expected that I would have become an amputee. I guess that's the easiest one.
0: Hmm. All right. And what I'm most grateful for in my life right now is. I'm most grateful for life. Awesome, brother. Awesome, man. Well, this has been an honor. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story uh, with me and with everyone uh, that's tuned into this. Um, you know, if people want to learn more about you, where should they go? Where can they find you? Uh, if they want to learn more, obviously, they can go check out Charge documentary. I believe that's on Amazon Prime. Um, but where can they go learn more about you and follow along on your journey?
1: yeah just go to montanamex.com. It'll share everything that I'm up to these days, um, uh, along with my recipes and food and um, and then come hang out on Instagram at Chef Eduardo Garcia. Um, I've had a really it's been very enjoyable to um, see Instagram as a positive opportunity to build community, so I enjoy meeting people there too.
0: Awesome, man. All right. Well, thank you so much for having, uh, joining me on the show. I was going to say for having me on your show, but uh, you didn't have me on your show. I had you. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, man, thank you so much for joining me today and, um, for sharing your story. It's powerful. I feel like a lot of people are going to resonate with this. Um, For those of you that are tuning in today, don't forget to share this episode with a few people who you think might resonate with Eduardo's journey. Um, Definitely go head on over to uh, check out what he's up to uh, on Montana Montana Mex or on his Instagram profile. He's got some great stuff. Uh, And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.